Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on the State of the World, President Biden travels to Israel and President Putin travels to China. Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR, where we bring you the day's most vital international stories, up close, where they're happening. It's Wednesday, October 18th. I'm Greg Dixon. In a moment, we'll hear about a meeting between the leaders of China and Russia. But first, the latest news from the conflict between Israel and Hamas. The cause of an explosion at a hospital in Gaza that killed hundreds is still in dispute. As as you came outside, the whole... A doctor who was in that hospital spoke to NPR's Ruth Sherlock on a bad phone line. He said the area outside the hospital was full of the dead and injured, and that they had found victims who ended up on the roof of the building. Hamas blamed the explosion on Israeli airstrikes. Israel says it was a misfired rocket by a different militant organization in Gaza. Speaking in Tel Aviv, President Biden said information the U.S. has supports the Israeli explanation of events. And he delivered a speech during his visit. Good afternoon. Please have a seat. I come to Israel with a single message. You're not alone. NPR's Jerusalem correspondent Daniel Estrin gave A. Martinez his impressions of that speech. Well, the president spoke to Israel's pain right now. He said the the brutality of the Hamas attacks would cut deep in any place in the world, but they cut deeper in Israel. He said it was the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust and that it brought up painful memories of that history. And I think that is really going to resonate with a lot of Israelis. I've been hearing from Israelis really speaking to that. But he did say very clearly, he made a turn and said to Israelis, don't be consumed by your rage. He said the U.S. has made its own mistakes, referring to wars in the past. And he said Israel should ask hard questions. Israel should have clarity about the objectives and an honest assessment about the path of those objectives. Biden said Israel is a nation of conscience, and he called on Israelis to recognize Palestinian suffering. But A, what did he not say? He did not call for the end of the war. He did not call for a ceasefire. He did not call for Israel to end its bombardment of Gaza or for the Gaza border to be open to allow civilians to flee to safety. Two million civilians in Gaza are trapped. And he did not spell out what vision he has for the end game here. One of the things that Biden said that struck me, Daniel, was that for a country the size of Israel, the attacks must have felt like 15 9-11s. The sense that he must have gotten just by being there and speaking to people in person must have sparked that comparison. That's right. I mean, that's language we've heard from Israeli leaders, and it truly is a shocking, deeply shocking moment for Israelis. I mean, they're still identifying their dead. They're still burying their dead. And something else struck me about what the president said. He spoke about his memory of speaking with the Israeli prime minister at the time, Golda Meir, about how uh, Israelis have no else to go, no place else to go. That That's something that fortifies Israelis, that gives them a sense of resolve. I have to tell you that in his, speaking with Israelis here, I'm hearing something very different. I'm, I'm not hearing a lot of resolve. I'm hearing a lot of fear. I'm seeing a lot of Israelis boarding with their children on planes and leaving. 
I'm hearing Israelis who evacuated their communities that were attacked saying, I will never go back there and saying, for the first time in my life, I don't feel safe in my own country. And of course, you know, despite all of that pain, there is an ongoing Israeli bombardment of Gaza. The death toll rises, the humanitarian crisis deepens. And again, we don't know what is the plan going forward? What is the plan, especially for the day after? That was NPR's Daniel Estrin. You can find more from all sides of this conflict at npr.org slash updates. Russian President Vladimir Putin traveled to Beijing to meet with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. China's leader welcomed Putin as, quote, an old friend. Putin was there for a forum China hosted on their Belt and Road Global Infrastructure Initiative. This was the second meeting between Xi and Putin since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And for analysis of the meeting, Scott Tong spoke to two NPR correspondents. Philip Reeves is covering Russia from Riga, Latvia, and we'll hear first from John Ruich in Beijing. This is another in a series of meetings that they've had over the years that have built friendship and cooperation. That's really how they're casting it. You know, they met for about three hours on the sidelines of that forum, marking the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road. And the snippets that we've gotten from state media so far show conspicuous displays of friendship, really. You know, she said over the years their mutual political trust had deepened, strategic cooperation was close and effective, and he even noted that they had met 42 times. He counted them over the past decade and had cultivated mm. a deep friendship. As you said, they declared a no-limits relationship in 2022, and mm-hmm. while trade has expanded and the language is, is effusive, there are, of course, limits. Um, you know, they have a fraught history. They have a long border. Analysts say there is still mistrust between them, but they always do their best to hide that when they meet. Yeah. And Philip, let's talk about what Putin is facing in the world now. He's quoted as saying Russia and China must coordinate their foreign policy actions in what he calls a difficult environment. Of course, Russia is fighting a war in Ukraine. Both Russia and China seek to enhance their influence in an inflamed Middle East. Phil, what does Putin mean by difficult environment? Well, he primarily will be talking about the conflict in Ukraine, his war on Ukraine. That's made this relationship with China extremely important. Uh, As we all know, China is officially neutral, but it has tilted towards Moscow. It's ramped up trade, as John said. It buys a lot of Russian crude oil, a lot to help Putin dramatically reduce the impact of Western sanctions. So for Putin, he sees this a way of showing the West that Russia isn't, as the West claims, isolated. And it also allows him to advertise what he sees as a core mission these days, which is to convince the world that the post-war international order that John referred to, that that is over. As for his Mm. remarks, though, about a closely coordinated foreign policy, I think that will be met with quite a bit of scepticism among observers of this blossoming Putin-Xi friendship. Honestly, there's plenty of areas Mm. of friction and rivalry between these two, not least over Central Asia, where Chinese expansion through that Belt and Road Initiative is in an area that Moscow regards as its zone of influence. There are challenges, uh, Philip, as you mentioned. Let's talk about the specific global challenges facing Xi Jinping and China. John, just yesterday, the U.S. cut off more exports of high-end semiconductors shipped 
to China. What are the global headwinds as Xi Jinping experiences them? Yeah, that comes at a time when the Chinese economy itself is struggling a little bit. In the wake of the dropping of COVID restrictions almost a year ago, yeah, there's those trade restrictions, as you say. You know, the tariffs from the Trump era are still in place. U.S. policy has shifted. It's a competitive framing of the relationship with China. The buzzwords out of Washington are invest, align, and compete, and China doesn't like it. So relations with the U.S. are frosty, and that's intensified this sort of drive and the desire on the part of Beijing to build influence, to build alliances elsewhere, particularly in the developing world. So this, what some people call bromance with Putin, is part of that. And we've seen a little bit of that alignment of their sort of approaches in recent days with similar positions on the Israel-Hamas conflict. Indeed, the atrocities in the Middle East are the defining story in the world right now. Historically, both China and Russia have backed the Palestinian cause. To both of you, how do you read how each country sees opportunities and risks in this war in the Middle East. Phil, to you first. I think something very interesting is happening here. Moscow has actually had deep and complicated ties with the Middle East, Iran, key Arab countries, Syria, and as you mentioned, the Palestinians, but also with Israel. It's worth noting that Israel so far hasn't sent weapons to Ukraine, just humanitarian aid. Uh, And now there appears to be a shift in that balance. It took Putin more than a week after the Hamas massacres to talk by telephone to Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister. According to the Kremlin readout of that conversation, he expressed condolences for the Israelis' victims, but didn't specifically condemn Hamas, and he hasn't called it a terrorist organization. He's constantly stressed the importance of a political solution, going back to the two-state solution, language that in Israel right now will be seen as bias. And above all, he's directed aim for the Middle East conflagration at the U.S., by far Israel's biggest ally. He portrays it as a massive failure of U.S. diplomacy because he's let the Palestinian issue fester for so long. And critics of Putin think that he's trying to harness this conflict to pursue his ambition to drive the world further apart, create that multipolar world in which uh, the U.S. is no longer the dominant superpower. John, to you. Yeah, as you say, you know, China also has historically backed the Palestinian cause. It's been close to Arab states, you know, going back to the founding of the People's Republic in 1949. But it's interesting, during the reform and development era, it had a period where it had developed some close cooperation with Israel in technology in particular. There was also some military cooperation. And Beijing had been trying to strike a balance Recently, it was also attempting to build its own clout in the Middle East as the U.S. was stepping back, as you noted. For instance, earlier this year, it brokered a deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran to establish diplomatic relations. But here, with this conflict going on now, Beijing will easily be perceived as not siding with Israel. It has not condemned the Hamas attacks or Hamas in general. Its statements have, of course, decried you know the loss of life on both sides but have been quite sympathetic to the historic plight of the Palestinians. And geopolitically, again, with Russia, it could be seen as acting as a big country standard bearer in a way for an alternative way of framing the conflict. We've been talking to NPR's John Ruwich in Beijing and NPR's Philip Reeves in Riga, Latvia, about the meeting between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. Thanks to you both. Thank you. You're welcome. That's the State of the World from NPR. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again soon. Drake and Kendrick Lamar have been lobbing some serious accusations at each other. You've probably heard the diss tracks and wondered, what's just a low blow and what's actually criminal? I'm Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I'm getting into what's art 
and what's worthy of criminal investigation, and who those accusations hurt the most. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. 